Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. If you want to listen live, all you have to do is download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Also, if you want to catch this show on video, be sure to check out Zumo TV, channel 719. That's where you can find SportsGrid's Fantasy Sports Network. Enjoy the show, and thanks so much for listening. And welcome back. Craig and Joe here with you. It's hour two of Fantasy Sports today as Joe and I are going to dive into some make or break players in fantasy football in 2020. Of course, the fantasy football season hopefully approaching us in a couple of months. And uh, just to kind of recap some of the top stories that we're talking about, uh, going back to yesterday, late in the day yesterday, Joe, uh, Rob Manfred told ESPN that now he's not 100 percent that a baseball season will uh, actually happen. And um Look, who knows? It's uh, it's it's basically like the equivalent of the '80s watching General Hospital every day. This drama that you just <laughs> you had to fight. like things change so quickly. You tuned in to the next day. Did anything really happen? No. You feel like you wasted an hour of watching something and nothing changed. Um, it is honestly the worst soap opera possible. Uh, it's still just negotiation going back and forth at this point, I think. But I I, I got nothing. <laughs> and, and look, I mean, we're talking about the sport. We're still talking about baseball. It shows you that a lot of people care. It's like when they wiped out the NHL season, no disrespect to the NHL. But when they wiped it out, it was like, oh, okay, yeah, sure. Um, but it's it's gone so far beyond. I, I can't believe that they didn't get it done by the draft. That, to me, was the big shock, that they let the draft come and go. But, um, you know, certainly we'll see in the coming days <laughs> if they're able to work this out. And one way or the other, it would be great to have some clarity. That's for sure. Uh, I think you hit the nail on the head. This is a soap opera. There's, there's, I, I haven't seen any amnesia yet or any uh, bizarre pregnancies or, you know, anything like that. But I, I'm sure they're coming. Like, I'm evil sure twin brothers. Evil twin brothers. You know, instead of Rob Manfred, it's, it's you know, Steve Manfred. He shows up there and he's got the part to the other side of his head. It's a whole other guy. It's like bizarro Rob Manfred. Uh, but it's uh, I don't know. It feels like negotiating. That's what it feels like to me. It feels like at the end of the day. I mean, I always feel like greed wins out right most of the time with these things. So it's just a matter of how much greed do we have collectively to get a baseball season between everybody. And maybe there's enough greed collectively where everybody can push those nickels and dimes together and rub them real hard and decide that we're going to play X number of games and I don't know. Every time I think we can't hit another low point, we do. So this, I mean, this, is, this is really the lowest of all. The guy, the commissioner, five days ago said 100% there's going to be a season. Now, now he says 100%. We don't know. So, I mean, for for him to make that comment, this is the worst of all because he could have easily still said that I so firmly believe there'll be a baseball season. So, um, you know, part of it could be negotiations. Remember, Rob Manfred was an attorney. He is an attorney. So. Yeah, we'll just we'll check back with you tomorrow on the latest version of of this of this story. All right, so uh, we're on to Cincinnati, Craig. We're on to Cincinnati, so, in the words of you. So, I mean, and who knows if there'll be a fantasy football season? But let's focus on that for now because at least at least we have months to figure that out to see if that ends up happening. And Joe's got his uh, some players who are make or break. I think that I looked at the list before the show, and I and I agreed with every single one of them, ironically except for one. Like I'm really like. Oh my! Let's stop the presses, Brett. Stop like, the show. Like, like what? What it's were your qualifications dead. for this make or break list? Like, don't, didn't well, you have to break a little to to? Didn't you have to be bad to be good? No, not have a guy on here that was never bad. Well, I also well, that's not true. We have a guy who never was, and all of a sudden was good out of nowhere, which is a guy like C.J. Anderson and other guys like that. So I think I know who that one guy yeah, is. Like, I'm gonna buy you a most jersey for your birthday next make year. Make or break. Make I, or break? What did the guy? What did the guy ever do bad? What? What, what did the? Well, what, what happens if Boaster's just not that good? What's the big deal? Right. Was let's, he let's never start a quarterback? Anyway. Before we disagree, let's agree for at least a player or two. So let's the rest start. Of the, with the guys are fair, but that guy—that's a terrible one. All right, it's ter- It's fine. Well, look, I, it wouldn't be a show if you didn't hammer me on something, and I have to. I, and I part of me put this out there just so you would get mad about it, but I do because I think Stop we, as a fantasy football community, we will get. Equally as excited about a player, get overexcited about a player, and then when they don't live up to those expectations, we discard them and then never heard from again. I mean, we can say the same thing about Peyton Hillis. We can say the same thing about C.J. Anderson. We can say the same thing about a lot of guys that are following the same script 
as your best friend here, Mr. Mostert. Right, but you and, have to be good and be bad, and then somewhere in the middle. Well, he was bad enough not play. to play. He was bad enough to be fourth on the depth chart even going into last year. So let's be honest about where he was perception-wise. That's all I'm saying. Let's 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 live in the reality. Well, you know, listen, maybe have the starting maybe, job. Did they go out and sign twelve? Uh, maybe other some maybe some people have. You know, I, I mean, look, what is his ADP? Is it a first or second round in, in fantasy drafts? No, it's getting. I would say. Well, then have, Well, then if well, right, then if he doesn't with, have a great year, then let's talk about the guys that you actually agree with, and let's see if we can get the rest them. of them. All the rest of them. All right. So <laughs> Baker Mayfield, I think, is in a make or break. He's my quarterback. Of course. At this. Uh, first year, obviously, as a rookie, you have expectations. You're number one overall pick, but at the same time, they're tempered. He exceeds them. Last year, you give him a lot of weapons, and everything goes to crap. And now, of course, you've got a new head coach in there. You've got a new OC in there, a new system in there, a whole new thing. But you have all the same weapons, plus you're adding in Kareem Hunt. I think with those two running backs, if you can't run this offense, Baker Mayfield is going to go down, potentially, as one of those great college career Never happened in the pros quarterbacks. And I think that would be a shame, but I think this is the year where it's a fork in the road. And I know that's kind of crappy to say it's only his third year, give him more time, but I don't know, Craig, when I look at the weapons he's got, if he doesn't succeed, I think we're going to start to look at Baker Mayfield and saying, maybe he wasn't the guy that we thought he was going to be to lead this franchise. Do you think that's fair? No, I mean, I, I think that it's a very important year for him. Um, I think that his starting job in the NFL as a starting quarterback is probably on the line this year. You usually give quarterbacks three years to figure it out. This will be his third year, too. Looked really good in his first year with, uh, you know, toward the end of the season. Uh, didn't really look that good last year, and we've come up with different reasons and narratives for that as well. But I would say that his NFL career is not on the line, but his starting job could be on the line. If he did not play well, he could be like, uh, you know, Mariota, where— after a few years, you end up having to be a backup for somewhere else. So um, I, you know, I, I would, I would bet a little bit on a rebound from Mayfield. Actually, I really, I, I think he'll be better than he was last year, and, and his so. value is at an all-time low. Well, I think he will too, because I think just from the idea of getting someone who I think is more qualified to be a head coach and is going to put a better offense out there, I don't think Kitchens was prepared to be a head coach in the NFL. I think that was asking too much. No matter what success they had as an OC in that short period of time, I think it's different. The running backs here, obviously we already kind of touched on Mostert there. We'll get back to him in a second. But the other one was David Montgomery. And David Montgomery, look, in terms of converting the opportunities, it did not happen last year. This offense had a lot of other issues too. He was averaging around 15 carries per game. That's a positive in terms of getting the football. He also had a ton of runs inside the five. So what you're starting to look here is you're saying, okay, the opportunity exists. It's the second year for a running back. You can go look at, say, a, a guy like Melvin Gordon, who a lot of people were excited about his rookie season. It didn't happen. Second year, it happened in spades. And I think it's early mm -hmm. to give up on David Montgomery. And the nice thing about Montgomery is you're getting a big discount on him now. But I think this is a make or break situation because if he does not perform two years in a row, despite the fact that you have this quarterback play that might be spotty again, I think then fantasy owners will just move on and we'll say, and the Bears might move on too and say, hey, you know what? We're going to go back in the draft. We're going to sign somebody else. Montgomery did not work out. We gave him the two years to figure it out. And running back, unfortunately, is more disposable and they're quicker to dispose of them in organizations. So David Montgomery, Mostert, those are the two guys. And, and just going back to Mostert too for a second, you know, I think we have to realize that Mostert is not a rookie. He's been in the league since 2015. Since then, he was playing for the Cleveland Browns, the Miami Dolphins, the Baltimore Ravens, the Chicago Bears, and then eventually ended with the 49ers. He was there in 17. He was there in 18. We didn't hear a lot from Mostert at all. He had a great playoff run, a fantastic end to the season. But let's be honest, okay? Let's, let's call it what it is, which is there's an opportunity here for a lot of people to overrate him. And if they do, and they're not careful— if he does not live up to those expectations, it can really sink your team. So I do think it's kind of make or break because I don't want to call him a journeyman, but 2015, again, that ain't new, Craig. It's just 2020 we're talking about here. Yeah, I mean, for me with Montgomery, I'm I'm not a huge fan because of those opportunities that he had uh, near the goal line. He didn't make the most of any, any of them. Um, now, look, his offensive line may not have been great, but I did not see anything resembling the guy that I saw in college, and, and I saw him play in college quite a bit. Um, I, I see the same trajectory for him that I saw with Royce Freeman, which is mm, a potentially good. good running back, but not a great one. 
Um, so I think that Montgomery probably has a very similar year this year to, to the year that he had last year. Maybe he is a little bit better, but a guy like Miles Sanders has just completely passed him. And, um, I, I will, I will be out on Montgomery this year. I will not have him anywhere. That's fair. And like I said, Mostert's had a lot of addresses and that's a lot of organizations to be wrong on a guy in five years. Uh, the wide receivers for this team are Juju Smith-Schuster, Will Fuller, and Anthony Miller. Now, Miller has had multiple injuries. There's a ton of talent. I know you like the talent too, but I think this is a make or break year. I think in a way you almost kind of want to see him with Nick Foles to see what happens there. That's kind of what I'm looking for. Will Fuller, I normally would be out on already. But the scenario without Hopkins, you look at the efficiency, it's so frustrating because he's a very efficient player, even though he's not a very productive player in terms of games played. That's the problem. You look at how good he was. My God, he's a touchdown machine, all these great things, but he can't stay on the field. And Juju, he went from being all world, ready to go to, oh my God, what happened last year? And now this is a very important third year here for him. It's kind of a make or break in fantasy. So those are my wide receivers. Your thoughts on these guys? Yeah, I think that all three are fair. You know, I'm still a Miller fan. I'm not really sure how it's going to work out. It looks like my expectations may have been too high for him. Uh, Fuller, I, I always see as a second guy. And and look, he has never been healthy over the course of a full season. So how can I possibly bet on that in two in 2020? Uh, Juju is the one that I would re uh, go down to go down to the well again with. I, I would I would give him another shot, especially with Roethlisberger yeah. there. But clearly, without Roethlisberger, I would have no interest whatsoever. I also like him moving back into the slot, too, which is where he's targeted this year. I think that's just going to be a better spot for him. And Deontay Johnson showed enough where he can go back out on that end. And all of a sudden, now everybody's in where they should be. And you get the quarterback back. That's a lot of pluses there for Juju. And the last one's the tight end. You know, every couple of years, we get this fascination with a guy right at the end of tight end one. A few years ago, it was Trey Burton. We were waiting for Trey Burton to happen. It never happened. And Mike Gusecki, I think, is that next guy where it's like, all right, look, I get that there's volume there. I get that he's had some opportunities, but 6.4 yards per reception is not going to get it done. This is a make or break year because just like Burton a couple years ago, you have this window of a year or two where people are willing to roster you. And if you don't fulfill expectations, it's on to the next one. And kind of like end of tight end one, there's a lot of these guys, but I think uh, Gusecki's the one that is the most discussed in fantasy circles that I think really could make or break some teams potentially. Yeah, and and look, uh, Gasecki was never, you know, I thought he was overdrafted a little bit. He's mm -hmm. not a great blocker, but he did, you know, sort of emerge as more of a red zone type target. I, I I don't I don't think that he'll be as good as the Dolphins thought when they drafted him, but he could end up being in the tight end one conversation. I think that that's you know certainly possible. It just kind of depends on how long they stick with Fitzpatrick, as long as he is in there, I think he'll be okay. If they move over to Tua, then, you know, all bets are off certainly at that point. Uh, all right. Uh, here's what we're going to do. We got some futures on FanDuel. You guys got to head on over to the FanDuel Sportsbook. They have so many different opportunities for you guys to bid on everything with NASCAR, everything with golf, all the KBO, soccer, some great content as well. In addition to that, they have some player props up already for the 2020 NFL season. And that would include the AP Offensive Player of the Year and Defensive Player of the Year. Joe and I will hit on next. You're watching Fantasy Sports Today right here on Sports Grid, And we're back after this. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. And welcome back. We're going to get into some NFL futures. Head on over to the FanDuel Sportsbook. Take advantage of all of the offers they have going on right now, which would include futures in the NFL. Also, NASCAR coming up again this week. A couple of different races. On top of that, we've got golf back on the scene, the Korean Baseball League, and certainly pretty soon the NBA will be back in action as well. So head on over to FanDuel Sportsbook. Check it out. And if you are interested in placing a wager, let us know. Hit us up at SportsGrid. And certainly we'll keep an eye on everything for you, all the updated odds that they have over there at FanDuel. Uh, in terms of the NFL, one quick note here from yesterday, Joe. Uh, Sony Michelle uh, had foot surgery yesterday, mm -hmm. so certainly you know that'll be something that we'll have to monitor. The unfortunate part about something like this is that uh, you know we don't really get a lot of news in the offseason. The OTAs have been more or less canceled. They're doing everything online. We'll see how Sony Michelle is in July, and then we'll be able to make a further determination. But certainly if you had to and you had no choice— 
and this was your last dollar and you were forced to do a fantasy <laughs> football league right now, you would not be taking Sony Michelle. I mean, that's all there is to it. I mean, well, if you were look, forced to draft right now, you would, ha- you would have to pass. Well, you'd probably like to pass if you could, but I think the Patriots are going to run the football a ton. I think the Patriot way this year is going to be play defense, run the football. They're trying to redo that uh, that fullback position there, bring in somebody else that are take over what Devlin used to do. And they're going to run that power eye. And the, the irony, too, is a lot of people forget that Damian Harris and uh, Jared Sidham go way back together. They've been playing against they were kids. So that's a unique relationship where you trust guys. And it wouldn't shock me to see Harris get some opportunities this year. But whether it be James White, Sonny Michelle, Harris, some conglomeration of all of them, Rex Burkhead, let's get everybody, maybe get you a helmet and get you out there. The Patriots are going to run the football. So I think what you want to do is take advantage of any enormous discount you're getting. Because if Sonny Michelle drops off the chart for a maintenance foot issue, you take that. But I wouldn't be putting huge drafts. Seems like more than that. Seems well, like more than that. But here's the thing with Sony Michelle, it always feels like that. I think whenever you have a guy that's it was a bad pick. On it, it was a bad draft pick. I agree. It's he is I think it was a short sighted pick. I don't want to say bad pick because he had some big hundred yard games in that run to the Super Bowl and he had some big moments. Nick Chubb the way. was the better running back. It wasn't close. They I mean, don't disagree with you. I I don't know what the the make or break for that was. It was kind of an odd thing. I agree. I mean evaluation, I think it was a mistake. I think they took the guy that they thought was going to fit better for what they wanted to do for the next two years instead of looking to who was the better player. And I think that was a mistake. And maybe Nick Chubb wasn't a Patriot guy for whatever reason, too. You know, the Patriots have their reasons, but we'll see. Uh, I was actually always surprised they didn't go after Kareem Hunt because I thought that was a guy that was going to uh, like that. How annoying would the Patriots be going and getting a guy like Kareem Hunt? Yeah, that's still a player. Yeah, I mean, if if he can get his his life straight and and keep his life straight, then that would certainly be a player that everybody would love to have. All right, uh, let's take a look at the Offensive Player of the Year and how FanDuel sees their odds in 2020. It shouldn't come as any surprise that the first two are going to be quarterbacks. So we have Patrick Mahomes at about 7-1, to 6.5-1. to Uh, Lamar Jackson, who had a jet ski incident over the weekend, but says he's okay. Uh, Plus 950. Christian McCaffrey running back 13 to 1. And then we'll mix in Michael Thomas at 18 to 1. Saquon Barkley is also 18 to 1. If you head on over to the FanDuel Sportsbook, you can see that there are some uh, more deep long shots. Certainly, if you want to check those out. And if, Joe, you have a name that you can throw it out to. But we'll just focus on these names for now, it would seem to be probably one of the two guys win. I would I would throw Russell Wilson as a possibility as well. And the other thing that I would do is any quarterback that you think could take that game to the next level, whether it's Kyler Murray or if you think Joe Burrow's going to have a big year. I mean, this award almost always goes to a quarterback. So I probably would go either Mahomes, Jackson, or Wilson from this list. Yeah, the tough thing with the Offensive Player of the Year as opposed to the MVP is sometimes, oftentimes, They like to pivot and not give it to a quarterback because the quarterback always wins the MVP. So I think in a way, the interesting money to me is Saquon Barkley, who I think is going to remind everybody just how damn good he is. And I think at a certain point, like how how many years in a row can we expect Christian McCaffrey to be as good as he was? I mean, I, I, I don't I'm not rooting for the other shoe to drop. Believe me, I am not. But I'm also trying to be realistic. He's had an enormous workload for two years. He's been incredibly good. But I don't know. I I feel like we got to look elsewhere too and and look for opportunities. I think eighteen to one on Saquon Barkley is really good. I think that's something you could really take that and say that that's a guy that could really get there. And as good as Michael Thomas was last year, it's a lot to ask of seventeen hundred yard seasons back to back. So Saquon right. will be my money um, because I don't really think outside of these you know elite players, Ezekiel Elliott's not in this group, but that's kind of difficult too because you know where do you put him or Dacker and they kind of get lumped together. I think the unique thing when you look at these guys is McCaffrey is the weapon. Mahomes is the focal point of the offense. He's the weapon. Lamar Jackson, same thing. When you start to go to other teams where there's lots of other talent, it's difficult. Not that Mahomes doesn't have talent, don't get me wrong, but Tyreek Hill's not winning Offensive Player of the Year. Uh, I think that's where it struggles. Russell Wilson, by the way, when it comes to MVP, man, the odds on him are really interesting on FanDuel too. I think that's a guy people need to like a long, hard look at because if he can get them past the 49ers and into the playoffs this year and somehow win that division with the team he's got, my goodness, that would be quite the story. And I feel like already this offseason media narrative is about Russell Wilson and Russell Wilson. How come Russell Wilson doesn't have an MVP and why doesn't he have any votes? And I've never heard this before my whole life. It seems like whatever PR campaign is out there, all for the last six weeks, I have heard and seen this on Twitter. And they're not wrong, but it feels like there's a narrative being built And I think it's something people should pay attention to in the wagering world. 
Yeah, you know, I, I would wonder why. Why is it that you think that McCaffrey can't do what he's doing and, it's and, not that I, and do I, it for a few more years? It's not that I think he can't. It's just football is football. Kind I mean, of there there are lessons. there aren't a lot of examples, but there is one very good one for a guy who is very similar in size, stature, and talent. Um, that did do it for a long period of time. Now, look, you'd have to be a Hall of Famer, but Ladanian Tomlinson did do it for a long time. He did. Uh, 1,600, 2,100, 2,300, 1,700, 1,800, 2,200, 1,900. So, I mean, that's a seven-year... I know, and he is one of the all-time greats. And I remember Maybe McCaffrey will be an all-time great. Maybe he is. Maybe he is. God, God knows I love watching him play. I mean... I just, <laughs> it's just, it's difficult Tom's to. Been at the think. same usage, essentially. You're right. How many times did he win that award? Do you do you know? Does it does it tell you that information? Because I no, know he not. he definitely won AP Player twice. Offensive Player of the Year at least once. Twice. And I think winning it back to back is also something I think is very difficult to do because sometimes, again, the the narrative they don't always like to give it to the same guy. There's a lot of politics behind these awards when it comes to the media awards, and that's something I think everyone always has to understand where that's coming from uh but to me barkley 18 to 1 is interesting what mccaffrey at 13 to 1 i wouldn't tell you not to put money on it but who would you put your money yeah, on? no I, I would take a quarterback so it would probably be lamar jackson for me you'd probably take lamar jackson that's a fair one too i, I would i would just go a little bit of a, a step up above the six and a half to one and go with a little bit more of a long shot but uh speaking of long shots the defensive player of the year is clearly wide open there really essentially is no favorite if the favorite is seven and a half to one you know that you got a shot here at making some money, throwing a hundred dollars down and maybe winning a thousand. So, uh, Aaron Donald is the favorite at seven and a half to one. Khalil Mack is eleven to one. Nick Boza's thirteen to one. T.J. Watt is fifteen to one. Stephon Gilmore, who won it last year, is sixteen to one. J.J. Watt eighteen to one. And then I don't know why Von Miller's in here, but he is at eighteen to one. Because <laughs> he's really a name. I really don't have interest in. Uh, no, I don't either at this point. I, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, why is Von Miller in this? I, this place? I, I thought so too, but I'm, but if I didn't no. even want to include him, but I thought I wasn't fair because eighteen well, to one. It's got to put him in. There. It, that comes down to our lack of knowledge about defense, and this is why IDP leagues are good. It's just to educate people about the players on the other side of the football. Uh, Gilmore had a fantastic year last year. Uh, JJ Watt, I think it's always difficult to put money on JJ because again the injuries. It just it sucks. Why not Gilmore again then? Why not? Uh, I'm going to go and put my money on TJ. I'm going to put my money on a Watt, but it's not JJ. It's uh, that Steelers well, Why not defense. Gilmore? Well, um, I, uh, I mean, isn't it easier to win it again since the awareness is there that the guy won it the year before? Everyone knows how good he is now. Like, couldn't he have possibly? this, this, this Revis run now? No, like I'm trying to it, find. It's not impossible. Here. It's not impossible. But uh, sometimes, you know, now that Brady's not there. With the Patriots, what you would need to have happen was you would have to have the Patriots be really good, too. And I don't know if I'm sold on that yet. I don't know what the Patriots are without Tom Brady. No one knows yet. I'm optimistic. They're if they're 9-7, be and seven, he can't win Defensive Player of the Year? He can, but the thing is, I'm looking at how good – I think the Patriot defense is going to be very good. I think people are looking for sacks. I think that's the sexy one. I think TJ – But Watt, he won last year. He did win last year, but I'm just telling you, I think most of the time with this award – you're looking for sacks. You're looking for that number you can hang your hat. The problem was the Steelers were a really bad team, but defensively they were really good. And if they move the football better this year, they're going to be outstanding. I'm telling you right now, that Steelers defense is for real. And T.J. Watt, I think, is starting to kind of emerge, another one of these guys, too, out of the shadow of the brother a little bit. And I think that's another nice narrative story there. Nick Bosa, probably another guy that you could put in there. I mean, he just wreaked havoc last year. I'd be rooting for Gilmore. Don't get me wrong. I'm a Mr. Patriot. What about Joey Bosa? Uh, no, I don't no. think so. No, I think we've moved on to one Bosa to another. I think we've already switched Bosa's just like we're going to switch Watts. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just feel like if they were willing to give it to a defensive back last year, then then why not just, you know, make the same bet this year? And and by the way, why isn't he not the favorite? Like, I, I don't know. I'm not following him. Some I'm off somewhere with this. Uh, I'd, I'd, I'd have to go back and look. I don't know if you have the history of the award up, but I think the first question I would assume is a wager when you're putting in uh, the time and effort to analyze things is, number one, how often does this award repeat? Number two, how often do defensive backs win this award? Uh, and kind of put those two things together, and then I think that's why you might see the 16-to-1 odds. I'm just guessing 
that's what it's from. I don't have it in front of me, but that would be my educated guess. Would you agree with that? Like that's probably the the sentiment behind the sixteen to one. Those I mean, two factors. That, I mean, I suppose that's that's looking at it like that. But I would also say that I would guess going into last year that Stephon Gilmore was not even sixteen to one. My guess is he was either not on the board at all, or or like an other player thirty to one. You know, I, I don't think that he was. I mean, I could be wrong about that, but I don't think that Stephon Gilmore was bettable as the defensive player of the year last year. And if I'm looking at this list correctly, he's the only defensive back here. So maybe he is just so good at what he does, like the name that I mentioned in Darrell Revis and like Deion Sanders, like maybe he is just that good that this guy is going to roll off multiple defensive player of the year awards. I'm, I, I don't know the answer to that, but he, it, it was not that far-fetched for him to win last year. Why can't he... Uh, do it again. Well, yeah. two people have won back to back in the last 20 years Aaron Donald twice, JJ Watt twice. So, in the last 20 years, only two guys have won it back to back years, and neither of them were defensive backs. So, I think that's probably where you're getting the 16 to 1. It's not impossible because having a shutdown lockdown corner is, I think, at this day and age in the NFL, harder to come by because of the things you can't do as a defensive back. You know, you can't hand check, you can't do this, you can't touch the guy there. Like, there's so much you can't do anymore. So that when you have a player who's transcendent like that, who is a true shutdown corner, and basically is somebody who's locking down every great wide receiver he comes up against, it does kind of show a little bit more and shines a spotlight a little bit more. But I think at the end of the day, this is a war where people are looking for sack totals. And Bosa and TJ Watt, I think, are going to be there. Donald's won it twice already. JJ's won it a bunch. I think TJ might be the guy to uh, be putting some smart money on. All right. Well, we'll see what happens with the NFL season as the futures are up right now on FanDuel. Head on over there and bet them. Also, make sure you stay tuned on SportsGrid the rest of the day. We've got some great shows coming up a little bit later. Scott Farrell is coast to coast. We've got in-game live, and a lot of our TV shows are also on radio over on our SportsGrid radio channel. Make sure you check us out on YouTube. And we'll be back with more fantasy sports today in just a couple of minutes as Joe and I roll on here on this Tuesday. Don't go away. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. You're watching Sports Grid. Get on the grid. Welcome back. It's always fun to dive back into baseball history as we have no current baseball to discuss. So we've spent a lot of time going retro. And it's really interesting, Joe, because, you know, going back and, you know, certainly I had the Fantasy League of Legends uh, that I basically put some leagues together. We were looking at some older players and simulating it. It was really fun to simulate older leagues Mm -hmm. for a month. (laughs) <laughs> and for two months but we want the real thing at this point we do and and you know what we it's kind of got me thinking you know we talked earlier hour one obviously if you missed that you can go watch on demand anywhere on youtube or on your roku device or anywhere else you watch sports grid but i think what you're also looking back you know back to 1998 back to some of these other seasons and back to some of these other players and saying you know i remember that player being great but maybe maybe just maybe our vision is maybe. skewed a little bit. Just, just maybe our vision is skewed. Maybe it's not what it's supposed to be. Maybe the guy was really good in a good situation or good for a shorter window than we realize. And I thought I'd bring up a couple players and examine them and say, were they really as great as we thought they were at the time? Or was this just a, a small window of being very good in the right circumstances? Because we all know the right circumstances, like <clears throat> Raheem Mostert, can really make you more than what you might be. See how they did that for you? I like a little dig on the side there. You can make all the faces you want, Mish. All the faces you want. So let's start with Dave Stewart. Now, I remember Dave Stewart. I love the Arithmics. <laughs> now, I actually get that joke. I don't know how many people out there will. But uh, but I, I, I applaud you for making it, and I guess that's why you keep me around, because I laugh at jokes like that, because that was pretty funny. I'm a big Annie Lennox fan. You a big Annie Lennox fan, too? I don't know who that is. The singer for the Eurythmics. I know. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing the bit. I'm doing the bit with you. Come on. Anyway, let's talk about Dave Stewart, the pitcher, for now, at least. Oh. And um, Dave Stewart, the pitcher, 
I remember having baseball cards of him with the Phillies and, and the Dodgers and going, oh, yeah, this is kind of a guy, right? And then all of a sudden he ends up in Oakland. And all of a sudden these Oakland A's become really, really good. Uh, from 86 to 92, I mean, about as good as it gets versus a guy who won World Series MVP. But then you kind of look and, and you realize, well, that was just a really small window where he was very good. And overall, he's got 168 wins and 129 losses. And overall, his career ERA, Craig, I never would have thought this, was 395 for his career. Now, that's not really great. But when you say Dave Stewart, I think of dominant pitcher and a guy who was leading those A's teams. And yes, he did for a window of time. But was he a great player or just a guy who had some really good seasons when it kind of, you know, well, was on a big stage and it mattered? Yeah, he was a good player that that was very successful in the postseason. So we remember him as being a big postseason pitcher, both on Oakland and on Toronto. Uh, but people forget he was on the Dodgers. He was on the Rangers. He played for several teams. And I always thought he was like in the hall of very good. But, you know, certainly never uh, a superstar type player or anything. So I never really... Um, Never really envisioned him on, on, a, on a list of players that I would think were great. But look, but look that's the, the great thing about sports is that you can have a perception of something that's different than somebody else. That's why we share different opinions on players. Well, that's why I think it's interesting as well to kind of look and, and try to refresh our perspective and say, all right, well, what was going on? And now that we know the things that went on in Oakland, too, we can ask other questions potentially of uh, of things that happened there and guys who resurrected careers. I also think about Bob Welsh on those teams, too, another guy that I thought of as a good pitcher. And then all of a sudden, Bob Welsh is leading the league in wins. And these crazy things are happening. You're saying to yourself, well, what's going on here? But obviously, you know, that time in Oakland for those two guys, guys who might have been at the end of their careers, all of a sudden became about as good as it gets. Uh, let's talk about another guy, too, who actually is – relatively new to the Hall of Fame, and that's Harold Baines, 2019. Now, I remember Harold Baines is a very good hitter, and when you say about the Hall of Very Good, that's who I think of. He played for 22 seasons, five different teams, which you always say is a difficult thing to get in the Hall of Fame. And I know when you look overall, you say, wow, he did have 2,866 hits. I get that, but he was a DH for most of his career. And when I think of Harold Baines, I think of him always as a nice player on a team, but I never thought of Harold Baines as the best player on his team. Now, do you think that that's the wrong take here? Do you think that, you know, I'm not remembering it accurately? Or when we look at this, we're looking at a player who is really good, kind of a compiler, and maybe not Hall of Fame stature necessarily when we go back and kind of peel into some of those numbers because he never had great transcendent seasons or put a team on his back and carry them to my recollection. Yeah, I mean, a really good player. Uh, you know, it's it's... It's sort of unfair to him, I think, at this point, because he's so happy to be in the Hall of Fame, I'm sure. And there are a lot of people who feel like he is deserving of being in the Hall of Fame. But look, you know, you get a veterans committee together and you get one person in a room that can influence you, uh, you know, potentially you you could get into the Hall of Fame. And, and look, Tony La Russa, who was on that veterans committee, uh, managed him when he was with the Chicago White Sox for many years. Mm -hmm. uh, I believe Jerry Reinsdorf may have been part of uh, of that committee as well. So, I mean, and I he was a DH. A, Let's also say I, this I hate too. to say. Well, I mean, Edgar Martinez was too, but it, it, you hate to say it was a popularity contest. <laughs> uh, but I, I could, I could make the case for Harold Baines being a Hall of Famer. But I could also understand how, you know, some people would think was he dominant for any seven-year period where he was the best player in the game. And the answer is no to that. But look, but you got to give credit to guys that were able to stay around for a long time too. That is a skill. Absolutely do. I just, like I said, this isn't whether or not they were ever good. It's whether or not they were great. And I think that's sometimes we think of players as great or people get anointed as great. And I think sometimes you look back and, and it's worth examining whether or not that's true. And I always think it's difficult with the DH because like Edgar Martinez, I think there were times where Edgar Martinez was the most feared hitter in his lineup, believe it or not, even though that lineup did have Ken Griffey Jr. in it for a time and then eventually had A-Rod in it too. I think there were some moments there, some years in between there, where Edgar Martinez in that transition was the guy you feared the most. And I think when you talk to baseball players and pitchers, they'll tell you that as well. Harold Baines was always a, a nice player, a nice player for a long period of time and a DH for a very long part of that career as well. Uh, here's another guy, too. This is another one, too, when you start looking at a small window of being great, but not a great career when all said and done is Nomar Garcia Parra, who was about as good as it gets for, well, you know, a six year window, basically yeah. 
He was in uh, the he was in the mix with those other guys for he sure. He was right there. Absolutely in the mix with Jeter, those other guys. Jeter, A Rod, Nomar, Tejada. He was right there. I th- I think at a certain point, if you ask me like who were the how would you rank them, I would have said A Rod one and Nomar two. And no slight to Jeter, but I think at a certain point you look at the numbers that Jeter's putting up and you look at the, I mean, Nomar was having two hundred hit seasons too, but he was hitting thirty bombs. <laughs> Jeter wasn't yeah, doing that. No, guys. he was. He was. He was. And then the the career when he goes to Chicago just, just falls it just apart. Fell apart. Yeah. And, and and I know there were some injuries in there too, but how much of that is also the repercussions of being dealt and the the situation that he was dealt under and and you know he was the identity of that team and the think that the very next year they have that incredible moment where they just flip the script completely and go on this magical eight-game winning streak to win the World Series and then obviously beat the Yankees in the greatest upsets of all time. Do you think that mentally just also takes its toll on a player in that sense, or am I overrating that? You know, I, I can't speak to what uh, what happened with him. I have no idea, but I know that injuries played a major factor in, in what happened with him. But uh, look, he was, uh, for a four- or five-year period, the premier shortstop or one of the premier shortstops in the game. And, and the Cubs wasn't really so much the story because he only had a short term there, but then he went to the Dodgers and everyone thought, Oh, like he's, this is where he's going right. to, you know, sort of resurrect himself there. And he was that first year going into spring training. I'll never forget how popular he was uh, on that team. He may have been the most popular player on the Dodgers <laughs> there. If I'm not mistaken, they had uh, Joe Torre as their manager. There it was Kershaw's first year. Uh, Matt Kemp, Jeff Kent, like it was, and they, you know, put a great team together. Uh, he was okay with LA, but you know, certainly, uh, and he's their broadcaster by the way now too, but uh, never quite the same as he that was. New as of this year or last year. I didn't realize he had gone over into broadcasting. I think, I think this is probably his third year. Oh, I didn't, did not realize he had taken over. Yeah. That's good for you. Look, I'm in Miami great, a couple different years. Yeah. A great baseball guy, a great shortstop, but man, for that, you go back and you look at the, the two halves of a career and they cannot be more different. Oh, I it, know. Was just, just, it was staggering yeah. to me. And uh, then it, then it makes you wonder, okay, is he a product of hitting in a really good lineup in Fenway park? And is that the product? You couldn't have or, guessed, you couldn't have guessed it. it I mean, difficult. it was, you couldn't have guessed that that they had two players that that happened to at the same time, essentially that happened to him and Mo Vaughn, you know, like you right. never would have, yeah. I mean, you, you would have thought Mo Vaughn would have been a hall of famer too. I mean, it was, he was headed right down that line, 30 home runs, hundred RBIs every year. It's like, but you know, guys, you know, guys get hurt. And, mm-hmm. and in Vaughn's case, he got hurt too. Yeah. Uh, it's unfortunate. Now this next guy is again, just beloved by anyone my age, you know, who <laughs> grew up in the tri-state area they all love Don Mattingly, and and I did too. Man, Don, Don Mattingly is a great player. I always enjoyed watching him, even though I was not a Yankee fan. But I know they always hang this thing up. Well, you know, Don Mattingly was always hurt and played hurt and all these things, and he missed a lot of time. And I wanted to kind of dig into it a little bit to see, like, well, how much did he miss and, and what was going on? So I did a little, little average here. And I think what's interesting was when you look at it, from 85 to 87, one of the best players on the planet, right? Averaging 154 games, 32 home runs, 124 RBI, winning batting titles, just just being Donnie Baseball. But then from 88 to 95, which is a much larger stretch of his career, he averaged 132 games. I would have thought it would even be less the way people talk about it, but it's not. It's actually 132. It's not the worst, but clearly some time missed. And toward the very end of his career, he was more of a part-time guy. Just 12 home runs and 72 RBI over that last eight-year period. So I guess when you look at Don Mattingly, as great of a defensive player as we are, he was, and as great as he was for that three-year window, when we look back, is this a great player or is this a player who was great for a short period of time? And is there a difference between those two things? I think he was a transcendent player in the game. He was the most popular player, not just in New York, but also in the game. And statistically speaking, it's hard to put him in the Hall of Fame because he didn't have the longevity. But at the same time, I always look at Kirby Puckett's career, and it was short but great. Uh, You know, Mattingly, through no fault of his own, had a bad back and had to retire early. It cost him the 1996 World Series. Uh, I I do think that a veterans committee of some kind in the next five, ten years will put him in the Hall of Fame. So I do think, uh, of all the guys we mentioned today, I think... uh, uh, Donnie will be a Hall of Famer. And, and it's going to take some time because if you look at the last voting from the Veterans Committee, he was not close. He was not. Uh, everyone well, thought he doesn't. Honestly, close. Craig, he has three Hall of Fame seasons. And I always kind of look at it as I'm looking for eight to 10. I think that's a Hall of Fame career. Like, you got to have eight to 10. I think that's the number. He's got three. That's not a lot. Well, well, the first, I mean, the first two names that we would agree, like the three guys who are not in, there's four really for me that are not in. 
um, Dave Parker, mm-hmm. uh, Lou Whitaker, yeah, uh, Dale Murphy, and then Donnie. Those are the and I guys. think all three of the guys you mentioned there have better collective careers than than Maddox. And that's show. and that's why when after those three get in. Then you're going to see Donnie get But is a Yankee, and I think there's that Yankee New York bias that exists in baseball. All right, we'll come back and wrap it up uh, next with uh, more baseball talk and everything else happening in fantasy in our world. Don't go away. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back. Craig and Joe here with you as we get ready to get out of here for Tuesday. We'll be back, of course, tomorrow with some updated news, everything that's going on in sports, fantasy sports. Uh, Also, all of our great shows, a lot of them live every single day, including the morning after with Ariel Epstein and Jared Smith. Make sure you check out their show every single day right before us. Tune in tomorrow morning. You can catch their show uh, as well. A funny tweet that was sent out yesterday, Joe, since we've talked so much baseball and talked so much about the Hall of Fame uh, somebody said that uh, if Pete Rose uh, was allowed to get in the Hall of Fame, well, it will allow it with the one caveat that he'd have to go in as a member of the Montreal Expos. I can tell you this right now. You think that this is you think that this is funny? Pete Rose would love this. Are you kidding me? Pete Rose would move to Montreal to make a million dollars a day signing autographs if he could based on this. This is not hurting Pete Rose at all. He'd love it. No, I agree. I think he would jump at the chance. I mean, why wouldn't he? Absolutely. He'd wear a Padres hat if he had to. He don't care. Look, I I, I don't think Pete Rose would care for a second what hat he wore. I mean, it might hurt him in his soul deep down to not be a Cincinnati Red. I mean, he did manage the team as well. He was Mr. Red for, I mean, God, 20 years almost. So um, far more so than Tom Seaver ever was, that's for sure. Tom Seaver was a great Red. (laughs) He was a great Red, but he was a Met. Let's be realistic. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, he had some good year. Was it year or years now? Now that I'm thinking about the Expos, it was more than one year, right? I remember. Didn't he get his 3,000th hit? He got his 3,000th hit with him, yes. That is yes. correct. It's a big moment there on that turf. Again, one of the He's a player manager with that. Now I've been I was I was in Olympic Stadium. I've told you this story. Have you ever been in that building? Did you ever see a ball game there? I have not. It was the weirdest experience ever. I mean, it, it from start to finish, the things around the ballpark, the fact that you never saw any outdoor the fact to get to the ballpark, you only could go underground and inside. The entire we're so used to baseball being an outdoor experience. Even like as you get to the dome stadium, you know, usually you're walking outside and then you go in the stadium. Uh, uh-uh, not in Montreal. You go right into the tunnel, into the thing. You never see sunlight. It's the most bizarre situation I've ever been in to see baseball. Um, and yet there was something charming about it. I have to say, but I, I don't know. I'm trying to think of other players that, you know, if you gave them that opportunity to be in the hall of fame, but they had to wear a, uh, a team I think they would play. all take it. <laughs> I would think they would do, right? Just to write that HOF at the end of their name when they're signing things, right? Absolutely. Who's on the border? We were just talking about some borderline guys, right? Who's on the border for the Hall of Fame that uh, like that if, uh, uh, like Fred Fred McGriff is a Dodger at the end of his career? Like maybe that's a guy. Did Lou Whitaker would, uh, ever play anywhere else? No, he only played. No. He only played no. for the Tigers. Um, let's see. We know Dave Parker did play for some other teams. Dale, Dale Murphy is a Philly. Dale Murphy is a Philly. There you go. You got <laughs> Dale Murphy's got to be a Philly to get in the or, Hall of or Fame. A, or Colorado Rocky, by the way, played at the oh end. Oh my gosh, that's right. Oh man, I totally forgot about that. Uh, you know what? This is. Um... <laughs> How about uh, Omar Vizquel as, as a, a Texas Ranger or a Giant? Well, he was giant. actually he actually was good he with could, the Giants. I was gonna say he was actually all right with the Giants. He had some decent years there. But I, I think any baseball player, you know, it's. It they is funny. Are you kidding me? The Hall of Fame is like you put any hat on me you want. Well, and, here, here's and, and the in Pete Rose's particular situation, he'll make the best of every situation possible. He'll be well, like, course, especially if there's if there's money involved in it. We all know he's going to make the best of that situation. Definitely. Uh, is is there ever a scenario where 
you know, there's this opening up. I know we were kind of talking about the Sosa McGuire thing and things like that. Like, I know there's always that weird thing of, well, there's all the other guys who are in the Hall of Fame and the Boys Club of the Hall of Fame and things like that. If Pete Rose got in the Hall of Fame, would all those guys be okay and they would all just be and congratulate and shake hands? If if Sammy Sosa or Mark McGuire ever got There'd in the Hall group, of Fame? There would be a group, an older group of, of players uh, did not want uh, Rose in the Hall of Fame, yeah. Wouldn't there be a younger group of players too who might? I don't think so. No, I don't think okay. so. Not from what I understand. The what younger about, players wouldn't want the the steroid guys. That's what I mean. Ass. Like the Maguire. Like if they got like they, would they thumb their nose or does the fraternity overlap at that point and just kind of? No, they, they're like the, the the late '80s, early '90s guys would probably have beef. This a guess. That's fair. I think that's very fair. I, I mean, I'm I'm not saying that Greg Maddox or Tom Glavin or John Smoltz or Barry Larkin. Um, or Roberto Alomar would have beef, but that's like the era of guys that I don't know. Like, I don't know how they would look upon uh, those guys, Gee. those guys getting it. I mean, I would imagine that Greg Maddox had great respect for Barry Bonds as a player. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I don't want to speak for him, but I mean, gosh, I, I would imagine, <laughs> you know, you look at Barry Bonds and what he yeah, did. Yeah. But again, but again, I, that would, that would Everything's be too far of a, a leap. I wouldn't make that leap not knowing, you know, you know I wouldn't, we, I know it's like sports radio talk show fodder for, I don't know, forever, but I've never had the Pete Rose talk with you. Do you, are you somebody who Maybe doesn't care? Uh, oh, no, I, I, no, I, no I, I, I mean, listen, I, we could do it for hours and hours and I've done it forever, but I, I do believe he belongs in the Hall of Fame hundred percent. I do too. I would put him in too. And I head. think, and I think, you know, for your uh, whimsical, um, you know, romantic reasons about about the steroid era is my reasons for the Hall of Fame with Pete Rose because I think that if you did that, you would create the biggest Hall of Fame ceremony they've ever had in the history of the Hall of Fame. It would, it would, yes, it would be controversial. Yes, some older players would not come. Uh, yes, it would be frowned upon. It would get so much attention on the Hall of Fame. So many more people walking through the doors there, paying for it, uh, romanticizing baseball, it would be a great thing. I thought that they would save it for a year where there were no inductees, you know, essentially like strategically wait and look at the calendar mm -hmm. and say, oh, this is a year where we don't really have anybody. Uh, but I'm not sure that they will. So uh, as far as being involved in baseball again, the answer is no. It could never no, be. No, no, no. I'm with you. Well, again, but, but his plaque deserves to be there. I mean, yeah, I mean without, he's a without, famous baseball player, right? It's the Hall of Fame. Pete Rose is the all-time hit leader. Mark McGuire, for a time, was the single-season home run record holder. Mark McGuire has a ton of home runs. He had the rookie home run record for a while. He had a great career. Sammy Sosa had a great career. Rafael Palmeiro, all these guys. Jeff Bagwell had a great and, career. And, and the other thing, too, is that it, it, like an example, a good example would be this. Like if, if, for example, in five years from now, they legalize steroids in baseball again, then I would have a really hard time with all those guys not being in because I would say, hey, I mean, that's not right. Like you well, banned that's not going to happen. Now, They're not going to. Right. But they legalize gambling all over the United States. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's I mean, true. Fuck. Yeah. Like, like, I, what are we doing here? Yeah. I mean, that, that's a good point. Well, I, here's the thing I always kind of look at, too, is I, I feel like because I've had people, friends of mine, you know, people have had injuries and, you know, they give them steroids or they, for, to recover or they give them HGH to recover and rebuild muscle tissue and things like that. And they're not all professional athletes that are getting these things. But, oh, you know, you think about the wear and tear of professional athletes, I don't know why we can't get to a point where things are more regulated and understood and monitored where we can use science and technology to help our athletes. And and the, the Noble Lance Armstrong thing was, you know, I don't think we really finished up with that, but that was a fascinating thing, that 30 for 32, because that got into a whole other side of this, is like what – the good you do versus the bad you do. Like maybe the crappy human being you are at your core sometimes, but the repercussions of uh, of saving lives. I mean, the men legitimately save lives. This woman told this story in the Lance Armstrong documentary. I don't know if you watched this or not. No, but I didn't see it. The, the, the second part, she tells the story of being there and she was about to go through chemotherapy and she was reading one of the Livestrong things and it talked about how, you know, fertility after chemotherapy therapy can be a problem and all these things. And she didn't know this because her doctor didn't tell her this. And then she brought it up to him and then they started to talk about it and then they ended up freezing eggs of hers. And then later on she had three kids. But had she not known, 
she would have gone through this and maybe never had kids. And she looks and said, what would have happened? I wouldn't have had my children if not for this. And, and you think about it, like, all because this guy and everybody else <laughs> in the Tour de France was doping for the most part. It was just part of the culture. And you think, if it's part of the culture, does it make what Lance Armstrong did not important? No. Is he the most famous cyclist that ever lived? He absolutely is. Is probably the greatest one, too. Was he enhanced? Yes. And we're trying to kind of, I don't know, we're always going this moral position back and forth. Did the home run race bring back baseball? Absolutely. Did it make you and I feel good about baseball? Yeah. I smiled through that whole thing last night watching that. And then at the end, I got kind of bummed because I, it was nice that the Cardinals put McGuire in their Hall of Fame. That was a nice gesture. You could see how much that meant to him. And maybe that's like enough. But you know what? Sammy Sosa hasn't been back to Wrigley Field. I don't think that's right. Do you? Yeah, but, but who is it not right for? I think the fans. I right, think but, Sammy but, Sosa. But, I think but, both but of Sam, them. But, I think but the Sammy, organization. But Sammy Sosa, on his own accord, ended things very poorly in Chicago as, right, as but, part of but, uh, himself. He, he Remember, he left the game right. before it ended and all that. I mean, come on, man. 100%. But we've all seen guys leave on sour notes. But at certain points— oh, they, they, they should work it out, but let's— Time I'm, heals I'm, the I'm, wounds, man. I'm let's bring people that, back together. I'm, I'm certainly not going to absolve Sosa for what he did at the end of his career in Chicago and just say automatically— Will you absolve him for the outfits he wears now? Because he kind of looks like a Batman villain. I'm just saying. Yeah, listen, I've seen him around <laughs> South Florida quite a bit. <laughs> Uh, not so much in the last couple of years, but for, for a while, like all these different events I used to see him at. And uh, kind of looks now, like a Batman villain. Sammy Let's Sosa, the businessman now. He is not Sammy Sosa. The no, but wait, wait, with the different flowers on the lapel and the, the spooky the, picture behind. Guy. Yeah, that you is. What that was, okay. Yes, I did. I did. All see right. it. Now, yeah. I know if anybody saw that besides me, it was you. It was my good friend, Greg, because I know you're like me. You see the little things and the little details and you go, hmm. That's kind of weird. I wonder why that. Why that that's a weird piece of giant art to be in your room. But not, it not all sure it fits with the Batman villain persona. So uh, I would like to see him in the new Batman that I know is being filmed. Actually, they just picked up filming on the uh, new Batman with Robert Pattinson. Okay. I'm hoping he joins that crew of villains because I think Sammy Sosa would be outstanding there. Okay. Well, let's end the show on a really good note. Congratulations to the WNBA. They're going to be picking up business and starting up again in a perfect location. Uh, actually, a great spot for all sports. This is where really uh, the young tennis player is born across the country at the IMG facility in Bradenton, Florida. I don't know why I didn't think of having uh, some of the events at this before. It's a full, big facility. Uh, used to be, if I'm not mistaken, Nick Boletari's facility. He may still be uh, involved in some way, but I used to live in Sarasota, which is 10 minutes away from Bradenton. Uh, great spot, and uh, congrats to the WNBA, and certainly we may be uh, playing some WNBA uh, DFS at this point. Who knows? Hey, uh, maybe, maybe it's on the docket. Hey, let me tell you something, Craig. Uh, I'm I'm excited about WNBA coming back. How about let's, let's get the Rockford Peaches back, baby. We can have men's baseball. This is a perfect opportunity to start a women's league. Go give me some women's baseball. I mean, they've we'll been waiting it. for a long time to get out there and show their stuff again and show that they can play this game. And I know there's a lot of women out there who can play baseball. I would watch women's baseball. Would you? I'm not sure. Oh, we have, I would. We're I out of time. Would. We're out of time. <laughs> here on the show, we don't have enough time to talk about it. Uh, that'll do it for our show today. Thanks to Brett, uh, Danny, and Ryan for putting the program together. We'll be back again tomorrow. Uh, as we get toward the end of the week, we'll have our golf preview, NASCAR preview, uh, Gray Albright, we kind of uh, get in all of our guests toward the end of the week. Thank you guys so much for watching. Thanks for listening. If you're listening on radio, for my co-host Joe Pizzapia, I'm Craig Mish. Hope you guys have a great day. Don't forget, Father's Day is coming up this Sunday. Make sure you take care of your dad the way, way he took care of you. We'll be back tomorrow for another edition of FST right here on Sports Grid. Have a great Tuesday, everybody. See you tomorrow. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.